Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on that nature, on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children and we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you today with all of our worries and anxieties and we give them to you and set aside of all that is keeping us from hearing your word today. Would you please give us hearts to hear and open minds and that you, by your spirit, would speak to us and conform us to the image of Jesus and draw us close to you for your glory. Father, for those that don't know you, that have not committed to you, that you would speak to them and help them understand what it really means to know Jesus. We, we pray all this, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. A child's need... For self-worth is the condition for his life. So much so 
that every person is desperately seeking what we call, what Becker calls, cosmic significance. Everyone gets their identity, their sense of being distinct and valuable from somewhere or something. Kierkegaard asserts that human beings were made not only to believe in God in some general way, but to love him supremely, center their lives on him above anything else, and build their very identities on him. Anything other than this is sin. This is what Tim Keller says in his book, Reason for God. And you know what? Even though our hearts desire to know who we are and to be assured of who we are, one of the saddest things going on in churches right now, maybe in your life, is that you're not sure whether you're really a Christian. You're not really sure if you're going to make it. Especially since there's a struggle to fight against sin that at times seems overbearing and it seems to be destroying you and there seems to be no way out. But God in his grace and mercy is not what he ever intended for us. We're going to look together at Romans 8 verses 12 through 14 and understand that God wants you to be sure that you are a Christian and that you are his forever. What's incredible is that the identity of believers is assured by the Holy Spirit himself. Be assured you are a son of God because the Spirit of the Lord is leading you. So look with me at verse 12. Paul starts solidifying what he has said earlier in the chapter and he says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it, Paul is persistent in driving home the point that no Christian is in bondage under dominion and the obligation or debt of the sinful nature. Every Christian is freed from the power of sin. Even though there remains the sinful nature, that part that, the, that is self-centered in us. And we know that perfection is not possible on this side of heaven, but the good news is that now we are no longer obligated to the sinful nature, which implies that every son of God is under the power and authority of the Holy Spirit of God. Paul's point starts off with, understand that you have an obligation, and it is to the Spirit of God, no longer to the flesh. Now look with me at verse 13. And let's see what he's talking about here, about this indebtedness to the Holy Spirit. He says, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Paul gives the important reason why Christians should not live according to the flesh. And he says that anyone that lives in an ongoing life according to the flesh will die. You can't stay in sin as a Christian. If a person stays in sin for all of their lives and never fight it, Paul is trying to help them be sure of one thing, that they are not in, the, in Christ. But he assures them that they are in Christ and have the Holy Spirit if they fight against their sinful nature. But what does Paul mean by death? Is it physical, spiritual? 
This death that Paul is talking about is a spiritual death, meaning that you will not be in heaven. And he explains why. Why can't a person say, why can't a person say he or she is a Christian and live a life of following their own feelings and desires as long as he goes to church Sunday? Why not be able to just sing passionately and tell someone about Jesus and even give money to the church and not at the same time you do some things that make him or her happy? Why is that not enough? Paul gives the promise that every Christian can be assured and that he or she will inherit life if he or she puts to death sin in his or her life. That is the assurance that Paul gives here. What is important is to maintain a careful balance between what God gives us in Christ and what we must do in response to that gift. Security without responsibility breeds passivity. But responsibility without security leads to anxiety, says Douglas Moo. The true spiritual rebirth through faith in Jesus Christ is a, is a life lived out actively, powerfully, purposefully killing off sin in the believer's life. Christian brothers and sisters throughout history have labeled this part of a Christian life as sanctification, which Wayne Grudem defines as a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. There is no Christian that could exempt himself or herself from sanctification. And part of that is fighting against sin, Every person that turns to Jesus in faith and repentance becomes a new person and so enters this stage of salvation called sanctification. And sanctification includes the whole person, which means that even our bodies need to be fully renewed, which only will happen at the end, and that's what we look forward to. The author of Hebrews says this about sanctification in, verse, in chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and he even says in verse 4 of chapter 12, strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Part of being sure that you are a Christian involves fighting and striving for holiness, which involves killing off sin. So Paul is saying, rejoice. You are a son or daughter of God. You are free from sin. So put it to death. And this leads us to the second major point. Every son's fight. All of us have a fight in our lives, and it is with sin. Look at me at verse 13. He says, But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Paul says that a part of the journey of growing in the faith, becoming more like Jesus, growing in love towards God, of living in the power of the Spirit, is to consistently and continually Destroy sin in your life together with the rest of the church. At least Fitzpatrick says it this way. Part of this maturing process, knowing who you are in Christ, is the ability to identify and put to death the self-centered motives that formerly earmarked our lives. But what does put to death imply? Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, teaches the church in Rome that they can know that they are truly saved if they identify, single out, acknowledge sin in their lives, the desires of the flesh, and kill them. They are not to tolerate sin, excuse sin, blame others for it. The war against sin, Paul is saying, is not optional. 
For it is to war that the Holy Spirit calls the church, and the enemy is our sin. And there is no making peace, no getting along, because God hates it, and so we will hate it. The present tense verb, verb indicates that it is an ongoing action. There's no one-time act that puts to death the deeds of the body. It is a constant, day-by-day, even moment-by-moment part of the believer's sanctification. And the old writers of, in the past that wrote about Scripture called this action mortification. This is how Phil Newton, pastor, explains this aspect of our lives and what it means to put sin to death. Mortification, or putting to death the deeds of the body, is a clear-sighted recognition of evil as evil, leading to such a decisive and radical repudiation of it that no imagery can do it justice except putting it to death. And what should we kill? Every use of our body, our eyes, ears, mouths, hands or feet, which serves ourselves instead of God and other people, says John Stott. So friends, killing off sin is a decisively and actively attitude of getting rid of it in our lives. There is no passivity here. There is no convenience. There is no good time but the present time to kill sin, not only for Christians that are out of high school, nor for the special, super-dedicated Christians. It's for every Christian from the time they convert to the time that they die and go see Jesus. Paul is not calling the church to a morbid preoccupation with sin or hurting our physical bodies or loving pain, but a preoccupation with loving the great God of the universe by living free of sin out of gratefulness to him. Christians don't hurt their physical bodies to, grow, to get closer to God, as some parts of Islam and some Christians have done in the past and still do today. It is not the body that is the problem. It is the desires that are self-centered that need to be cut off. Let's bring it to our lives. Have you given up fighting certain sins? Have you been giving up your fight against lust? Or do you just justify it? Do you minimize it, ignore it, point to somebody else and blame them? Are you holding on to the flesh's thoughts that if you had a better home, a certain amount of money, that you would truly be happy? Are you holding on to the lie that it's someone else's fault for your sin? Youth, are you playing with the flesh's desire of getting the approval of your friends by laughing at certain jokes, watching certain things with them, talking about certain things with them? What about you, young men? Are you protecting yourself and your girlfriend from giving in to sexual temptation? It's so easy to give in and pretend as if what you are doing isn't that big of a deal. Actually, why are you dating? What's the purpose of this relationship? Is it your desire to lead this young woman to love Jesus above all things and honor her parents? Young women, how are you doing with the flesh's desire to dress a certain way so that 
Others will like you and give you attention that your flesh, your sinful tendencies want. Is your body a tool for attention or is it for Jesus? Husbands, are you killing off the excuses that are making you lazy and loving, leading, protecting your wife and children? Wives, are you blaming the neglect of your husband on the notion that you need to put everything you've got in your children right now? I don't have time for you, honey. Maybe later. The flesh always seeks to give us lies to believe in. Have you heard these kinds of lies, these kinds of lies in your life? I'm just a kid. It doesn't really matter. I'm a teen. I'm just having fun. I'm in college. I have plenty of time to deal with the bitterness I have towards my parents. Or God is love. He wants me to be happy more than be holy. I've just started working. I just got my first job. I'll claim everything on my taxes later. These are just a few of the excuses and lies that our flesh always brings to our minds to not fight sin. You will fall. You will give in to sin. There will be times when you will feel like things won't get better. You will have moments of defeat and despair and cry out to God and wonder when this will be done. But will you stay there for the rest of your life? Will you give up on Jesus and just give in to your selfish desires and live for yourself? Brothers and sisters, sin kills. Let's trust the Lord and deal with sin right away. Let us eradicate it as soon as it comes to our minds. Let's renounce it, denounce it, hate it when it feels good. Why? We are in the spirit we are free from the bondage of the flesh and we do it all out of gladness to king jesus whom has who has done all things for us so every believer in jesus christ can be sure that he or she is truly converted because they are one now indebted to the holy spirit under his authority and two which brings us to the next point the people of god fight sin this gives confirmation internally that they are truly God's people. But in this fight, the question goes next is, where is the spirit in all this? Look with me at verse 13. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. The Christian approach to fighting sin involves the Holy Spirit. We do not fight sin on our own, apart from God, the way we think is best. It is the Spirit of God calling us to trust in Jesus for salvation, and it is He that gives us the desire, the passion, and the strength to continually fight sin. He is the one that gives us the understanding to call something that feels so good evil, the will to renounce Walk away from, from, from exploding in anger at your wife. It is he that leads you to stay away from parties where fun revolves around drinking and getting drunk. He's the one that gives you the humility to get rid of your phone if it's leading you to be lazy or to waste time or to covet things. It is God, the second person of the Trinity that convicts us and brings us to faith in Christ, and he is the one that gives us the strength to fight against all sin all the way to heaven. God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. 
And that is the good news that we get from Paul in these verses that we're not fighting on our own. It's not up to us. The problem is that we often fight our own, toughing it out, gritting our teeth, and we do it as best as we can, we say. But when we go in battle against sin in our own strength and wisdom, we will succumb to defeat. We will give in eventually. We start justifying it. We start beating ourselves up for failing again and even try to make it up to God. You can't make it up to him. You never could and you never will. All you can do is come back to the cross. And that is what the Spirit does. It calls you to fight in his strength and it calls you to look at Jesus and what he's done on the cross again and enjoy that more than your sin and cut things off that takes away your passion for, for God. Church, how have we been fighting sin this week? Are you fighting it in your own strength, with your own wisdom? Let's pray more consistently that for the Lord's strength to fight sin, for the courage to call evil what our society calls fun, and for the humility to fight the poison that the sinful nature tries to give us every day. But what about non-Christians? Can't they get rid of sin in their lives? Paul says that apart from Jesus Christ and faith in him and living in the Spirit, there is no true and lasting freedom from sin. Some would balk at this and say, you can't be serious. There are plenty of people that I know that have made their lives better, that have cleaned up their act. That is true. But one of the biggest questions is why? Why does a man stop his gambling addiction before he bankrupts his, his life? Why does a woman overcome the eating disorder that is starving her life? Is it out of deep desire to honor God above all things? Is it out of love and commitment to the glorious one that has saved them from their sin? The answer is no. Apart from faith in Jesus, everything that we do in, in life is ultimately for ourselves. So what happens is that any overcoming of sin leads to more sin, which, and it leads to the worst one, pride. Pride is our greatest enemy, always keeping us from truly knowing God and savoring him and enjoying him and giving him the glory because we put all of our trust and of all of our hope in ourselves. Pride makes the good things that we do just selfish acts that are despicable in the eyes of the Holy One of Israel. That is why we need to confess to God that we have wronged him so much that we can't ever make it up to him. We have to trust in Jesus for what he's done on the cross and entrust our lives to him. Have you done that? Are you sure? Is God speaking to you today, right now, calling you to stop fighting on your own and for yourself and trusting him and what Christ has done on the cross? Dear friend, don't wait just because you're young. Don't wait just because you have other things to do. This is urgent. Trust in the Lord Jesus today. So every Christian is assured that they are truly a son of God by understanding that they are indebted not to the flesh, but to the spirit. And so they fight in the spirit against sin. And now we look at the last point in verse 14. Look with me. Because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Every son of God is led. Paul finishes talking about putting to death the sinful nature by the Holy Spirit. And now in verse 14, he describes all this as the leading of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it peculiar how Paul 
describes the leading of the Spirit? The word because in verse 14 points back to verse 13, saying that the continual fighting of sin by the Spirit is actually Him leading you. He is the one that is doing all of that. Isn't that crazy? I mean, haven't you thought that the leading of the Spirit is you feeling certain about doing something, like serving in the church, maybe going to a different country on mission trip, or even figuring out what college you're going to go to? But Paul doesn't say this to the church. What he teaches them about the Spirit's continual and consistent leading is assuring them that they are really in Christ, and so they are to fight against sin. So if that's what Paul is saying in this text, assurance is not just the feeling. It's not just my decision. I don't decide to be assured that I am a Christian. True assurance comes from God by his leading, and it is done in daily life in the fighting of sin, Paul says. That's one aspect of assurance. When you bring other scriptures along this one, being led by the Spirit means obedience to his word, trust in his desires to live a holy life, and a passion to always bring glory to God by attracting attention to Jesus Christ, whether in the football stadium, at home with the children, at work among all the computer geeks, and at school among all of your super cool friends. Here's another thing to keep in mind. While the Spirit in every, is in every believer, Paul is not saying that people are God and that this kind of leading of the Spirit is to come help us realize that we are God or that we can become God, as our Mormon neighbors tell us. In Christianity, God is very different from his people and will always be so. But in his love, he comes really close to his people and transforms them for his glory and their joy. Over the years, I've become more and more careful to say that the Spirit of God is leading me. You know why? Because there have been times that I was saying that the Spirit was leading me, but, the, but really it was me leading me. Have you ever realized that? Have you ever realized that it is you who is making the decision and not really the Holy Spirit leading you? How often have you heard people saying that the Holy Spirit is leading them to fight sin? When was the last time you told someone that the Holy Spirit has really been talking to you, telling you to take a certain sin in your life seriously and put it to death in a very specific way? Brothers and sisters, let's celebrate with one another when the Spirit is leading one of us to fight sin. When the Spirit moves in the heart of a young man to put a filter on his computer because of temptations to lust, Let's praise the Lord for that. Let's point it out to him that, wow, God is working in your life. He is calling you to fight sin in that way. When a young woman asks her dad or mom to look through her closet and check, check out whatever is unworthy of the Lord, let's give thanks to God for that. Let's point out in those moments that God is working in their lives, that that is the assurance of the Holy Spirit and not that you remember one point in their lives when they chose to follow Jesus and got baptized. Brothers and sisters, be assured you are God's children because your faith in Jesus drives you to trust in him and to fight sin. Paul seeks to give assurance to the church in Rome and he's seeking to give it to us today. Let's trust in the, in the scriptures together and praise God for the victory that we have in Jesus over all and any sin. Would you pray with me? Father, I...